pray this finds you having a blessed day. Looking forward to getting back into uh, God's Word together here in the book of James. <clears throat> we'll be in James chapter 1, starting uh, here uh, in verses 6 through 8 today. Last week we looked um, at verse 5, talking about wisdom, and we were looking at the uh, kind of the, the correlation between the trials that we just got done talking about in uh, verses 2 through 4, and how that verse 5 ties right into that with the idea of being able, <coughs> excuse me, to understand the wisdom that we're needing to be looking for. Um, the wisdom to be able to really seek God out as He takes us through trials and that He allows us to be able to um, see where we can't see, I guess, take us where we can't see, um, trust where we can't see. And um, now we're going to dive into verses 6 through 8. But I want us to be able to build off of something really quickly at the end of verse 5 as we go into verse 6. So in verse 5, <clears throat> he says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So what I want us to make sure that we understand is if we do ask God for wisdom, all right, we do ask him, God, I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to help me. God will grant that. It will be given to you. Without a doubt, this is a promise. Now, I think what we could, we could look at is what is the depth of that wisdom? Because God could give you wisdom, but you can still rush the process. You can be able to kind of learn, if you want to say, quickly. Or you can sit down and be saturated by it. And, you know, it's the same thing in our lives. I know there's times that whenever I'm doing something and it's maybe something that's new and I'm trying to figure it out, maybe if I'm in a hurry... I'll read some instructions and I'll get the gist of how to do it and I'll try to, to, to kind of hurry through and do something. But then usually what I find is that had I sat down and I really read through everything, I wouldn't be in the mistake that I'm in. I wouldn't have put the wrong piece here or I wouldn't have uh, turned it around here. But what I've done is I did learn, but I wasn't saturated by the information. And that's really one of the things that differentiates between learning and wisdom is that God wants us to be saturated as we go through the process. And that saturation is from Him. It's being able to get the wisdom, which is Him, which is His Word, and He will grant that to us. Now, He will give it to us, but there is a part that we've got to do as well, not just asking God. I, it's not just like I sit here this morning and, I God, I need wisdom today. And I just kind of leave it there. There's a couple things that we need to understand from this process um, and understand kind of how to do this. I, it's, it's like my son, um, he's in that phase right now at 14 years old. That there's a lot of things that... Uh, he's wanting to learn a lot of things that I need to teach him. So let's say, for instance, uh, my son comes forward and uh, 
says, you know what, Dad, uh, I want you to teach me fill in the blank, uh, whatever it may be. Now, <clears throat> I can agree and say, yes, son, I have, I have knowledge of that. Um, you know, I can sit down and teach you. Um, there's no problem whatsoever. When do you want me to teach you? Uh, I, I don't really have any time, Dad. Okay, well, then how are you going to learn? I don't know. I just thought you'd, you'd tell me real fast. That's the same mindset that oftentimes we come into this with God. We don't want, we, we come to God and we're like, God, God, grab me wisdom. But we don't want to sit down with Him and let Him teach us. We don't want to take the time to go through the process. See, part of the reason why we get wisdom is because we're willing to see that we lack it and we want to be able to uh, sit down with God and let Him invest it in us. But if we're not willing to sit down and let Him invest it in it because we're too busy and we don't have a whole lot of time and it's like, God, give me the Cliff Notes version of this and you know, speed up the process just a little bit, then we're not really getting wisdom. And I think that's where, if I, if I could say that there's a struggle amongst uh, people today in really understanding how to let God lead them in their life, it is this. We don't have time for God to lead us. We want God to just fix things. We want God to give us information so that we can digest the information, fix the problem, and then just move on. The problem with that is you're missing out on the whole context of why God is bringing the trial in. You're missing the whole context of why God is wanting you to deepen in His Word. And you're missing the whole context of why God is doing what He's doing in the first place. What we're doing is we're trying to be in control of the trial. We're trying to be in control of God. We're trying to be in control of the information. And we just want God to hurry up and do what we want Him to do, which is not wisdom. That's the antithesis of wisdom. When I don't know how to do something, but yet I'm trying to tell you how to do it, that's the antithesis of wisdom. Because I'm telling you something that makes no sense. Because I don't know. I've not been there. And so not only do we have to invest the time, verse 6 takes us to the next step. It says, But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. All right. So now we're going to get into an area that is, if you want to say this, a little gray for some people. How do you pray for something that you don't know, you don't understand, and you're struggling with and not have doubts? Because James just said, but let them ask in faith without doubting. All right, so if we're all going to just be honest amongst each other here, how often do you pray without doubts? How often do you really pray with a level of confidence in your faith that is unwavering? All right? I'll let you give whatever kind of answer that you want to give. If you wanted me to give you an answer as a pastor, and I'm just being very transparent, 
letting you know kind of where I'm at. If I were to put a percentage on Jeremiah, how often do you pray? Without any doubts, you are just bold and you're confident in your faith. Maybe 20% of the time. Maybe 20% of the time. Now, I want to elaborate on that. This is not that I have doubts in God as much as I'm allowing the situation and the circumstances to dictate the way I feel and the way I think. The best way I could describe it is, God, I really trust and believe that you can do this. But there's this, 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 and this. And then you throw into it, I know how frail and weak I am. I know how many times I get it wrong. So if I'm part of the equation too, and I'm looking at it and saying, okay, God, I know you can, but God, I can't. And and you're going to use me in this somehow? Because, see, one of the things that we need to understand is many times part of the the way that God wants to answer our prayers in our lives, (coughs) excuse me, is God wants to use us. You know, oftentimes people pray, you know, God, I pray that you help so-and-so to get saved and I hope that they're reached with the gospel. God's wanting to scream from heaven, I want you. You go share the gospel with them. You don't need to be praying for somebody to go share the gospel with them. You be the one to go do it. But why won't you go do it? Because you don't have confidence in yourself. You don't believe that you can. You don't want to offend somebody. You don't want to be the guy who who causes awkwardness in the relationship because things are going real well with you guys. And then all of a sudden you bring Jesus into it and now there's this awkwardness. See, that's the kind of doubts that I'm talking about. You're praying, God, help this person to, 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 to get the gospel to him. And God says, I want you to do it. But it's like, well, God, no, we've got a good relationship. We're fishing buddies. We're hunting buddies. We're this. And, and God, if I bring Jesus into it, it's going to make it really awkward. And this is one of my only friends. And I don't want to, I don't want to make that weird. So get the pastor to do it. Find somebody else to do it. I don't want to jeopardize my relationship. Or, or God, I just don't fully understand. I don't know how to bring up the conversation. I don't really know what to say. See, what we're doing is, it's not that we don't have confidence in God. It's that we're, 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 we're overriding the confidence in God by the, the circumstances and situations that are going on. And we're putting that but in there. It's like, I trust you, God, but. And so what James is telling us here is that when we're in the middle of trials and we're asking God for wisdom, what he says is, ask in faith without doubting. So is he telling us that if we doubt that it's wrong and that God is going to not move? All right, I want to take you over to a passage that many of us probably uh, have heard or aware of, and it's over in the book of Philippians. All right, in the book of Philippians, there's a very, um, if you want to call it well-known, famous passage about the idea of worry and anxiety. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says here very clearly, do not worry about anything. 
And there is many times we're sitting here and we're looking at it and, and we almost want to have that sarcastic laugh and say, well, apparently Paul didn't really have a whole lot going on. Paul doesn't understand how difficult my life is. Paul doesn't understand what I'm going through. Paul doesn't understand the situation that's going on right now. Paul was a man who was shipwrecked multiple times. He was stoned multiple times, left for dead. He was snake bitten on an island. Uh, Paul was someone who uh, had people that were trying to kill him regularly. Paul was locked in prison a majority of his Christian life. Uh, He wrote most of the New Testament from prisons. And Paul was killed for his faith. I think Paul has an idea of what it means to have some worry. So why in the world would Paul say, don't worry about anything? Why is it that we're here in the book of James and James says, don't doubt. If we want to sit down and say, what are two very essential emotions and concepts that people in our society deal with today? It is worry and doubt. Worry and doubt are two of the most important um, phrases that we could say dominates our lives. And yet the Bible tells us, don't worry and don't doubt when you ask God in prayer. So what is really being said here? All right, let's go to what Paul said. Don't worry about anything, but with prayer. See, what Paul is not, Paul is not saying, if you have worry, if you have worry, you're sinning. He's not saying that. Here's the problem. It's not if you have worry, it's if you dwell in the worry to the point that it dominates you and affects you and you can't trust Jesus. I have worry. I'll give you an example right now. I just dropped my boys off at school this morning. You know what? As a dad, I worry about them. I worry if they're going to have a good day. I worry if they're going to um, have to deal with situations that are going to be challenging and uncomfortable. And have I prepared them for that? Have I been a good enough dad for them to where if a situation arises, they will know what to do, how to handle it properly? Um, I worry about their safety. I worry if they're going to, especially my youngest one. Um, I was actually at um, the Georgia Baptist Convention yesterday. And I knew that my youngest son was uh, having field day at his school. And I'm in the middle of one of the guys preaching, and my phone's going off, and it's the school. And the first thing was, I was, oh, my gosh. They're calling because he got hurt during field day. That was my first thoughts because it's like, why else would they call? He's not sick. Uh, he, you know, I know that he's not, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I know this is the time that they were having field day. He has been doing something and oh my gosh, he's, he's somehow got hurt. That was the first thoughts that go, th- that went through my mind. <coughs> it happened to not be that. It happened to be that Grammy and Poppy were trying to check him out of school. And because of the security protocol, they needed to verify that it was okay for Grammy and Poppy to check him out of school. But because as a parent, you just have that worry about you. So does that mean that I'm constantly walking around in sin? Does it mean that I don't trust God? No. What happens is, as a parent, I worry. But when that worry comes, I go to God in prayer and I say, God, listen, I can't be there, but you can. God, I can't be there whenever those kids may bring up a topic 
that is going to be very difficult for my boys to handle. Um, So God, you guide them. God, I pray that what I've taught them so far, that Lord, you would bring it back to their remembrance. See, what I'm doing is as the worry comes on me, I'm taking that worry to God in prayer and I'm squashing it. What I'm doing is saying, God, the reason why the worry is coming on me is because I can't be in control right now. But what I want to do is I want to relinquish that control to you, and I want you to be in control of the situation. And so that's why Paul said, don't be anxious or don't worry about anything, but give it to God in prayer. And then it said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you give it to God in prayer, he's going to give you peace in your mind and your heart. So with that being said, We understand that it's not that you're not supposed to worry. It's that when you do worry, you don't dwell in the worry to where it dominates you, but you turn that over to God. So now James is saying, but let him ask in faith without doubting. Now, here's what he tells us. He says, a person who doubts for the doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So what James is doing here is he's telling you this is the kind of person or the kind of actions that there's going to be of a doubter. He gives the first one as he's going to be like the sea, that when the wind blows, the sea is obedient to the wind. If the wind is blowing to the east, the the, the waves are going to be affected by that. Rather than the sea being stable, the sea is going to be affected by something that is outside of its context, which is the wind. So what we're saying here is this. If you are going to ask God something in prayer, you need to have the stability of Jesus, who your faith is in. See, my faith is not in a religion. My faith is in a person. My faith is in Jesus. So when I understand who Jesus is by the word, remember, I'm asking for wisdom. Where do I get wisdom? From the word of God. So when I know who Jesus is, He is the Word. When I know what the Word says about Jesus, that He will never leave me, never forsake me, that He is faithful and true, that He's never lost a battle, that He is my shield, He is my buckler, He is my uh, rock, He is my stability, He is my cornerstone, then I know that I have stability in Him. However, it's not that Jesus changes. It's not that His stability changes. It's that the circumstances, the wind, is what begins to change. So as I am going through life, I am going to have trials come into my life, and those trials are going to cause me to have have to make a decision. Do I trust in the stability of Jesus or do I trust in the wind and what it's saying? That's really what all of this is coming down to. And what happens is this, if I don't have a good concept of who Jesus is, then I am going to regularly be affected by the wind. I'm going to be affected by my circumstances, by my situations. I'm going to be affected by what the enemy is whispering in my ear. I'm going to be affected by all of the lies that the enemy is trying to tell me. And so if I'm affected by the doubts and I'm affected by the lies and I'm affected by my situations and circumstances, this is what James says. I will be driven and tossed by the wind and I should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because I'm double-minded and unstable in all my ways. What James says is this. 
When you begin to listen to the lies of the enemy, when you listen to the whispers that Satan is putting in your ear, and when you begin to look at your situation and circumstances and allow that to dictate things, you become unstable because you are the one who's in control. And you have no stability. So what you've done is you've come to God in prayer and you said, God, I'm going through this trial. I need you to help me. But this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I hear. And I just don't know if you fill in the blank. And so now what you've done is you've come to God in prayer. You've done what you're supposed to do. But instead of coming to God in prayer, understanding that He is stable, you have come to Him in prayer with all of the things that are causing instability. And you're you're looking at the instability and you're saying, Okay, God, I'm looking at how unstable all of this stuff is and I think it's ready to fall apart and I don't know how you're going to... And so now you're struggling. Because you're listening to all of the lies of the enemy. You're listening to all the whispers that the enemy is bringing into your life. And you're looking at it and saying, this does not make sense to me. Two and two doesn't seem to be adding up to four. God, I don't know how you're going to bring about good from this situation. You know, so many of us know Romans 8.28. And we know that God's going to work for good. And we're looking at it and we're like, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they just said, you know, I'm looking at certain things in my life and I know that God is meaning it for good, but I just can't see the good right now. See, what happens is we're looking at the circumstances and we're looking at the situations and it doesn't make sense to us. And we're coming to God with that and we're like, God, listen, ah, I know that you are God, but no, that's where the problem is. That's where the doubts are coming in. You know, this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's almost like Satan was looking at Eve and saying, yeah, you know, I know God loves you, but why did he have that one tree that you can't eat from? Not look at the abundance that God has given you. Look at the whole entire garden. Look at the relationship you have with God. Look at all of the trees you can eat from. It's like, yeah, you got all that, but you got that one tree. Isn't that a little bit skeptical that God would just have that one tree that you can't eat from? You know, what's what's God trying to hide? And guess what he did? In an area that had complete stability, God had established for Adam and Eve such stability. Satan, through just a little lie, brings complete instability to the point that Eve is rocked. Adam is rocked. They become unstable and they trust the lie more than they trust in God. That's what happens to us. See, these doubts that we're talking about here, that James is talking about, these doubts, or this is a doubt that God can't or will not do or will not move in your trial. See, what we're doing is this is not doubt per se in God and God's abilities. Now we're going to get real real personal with this and we're going to get real serious with this. This is not your doubts in God, but this is your doubts in God about you. 
Mm. See, that changes it now. Because what's happening is, this is your trial. James says, you need to ask God for wisdom about your trial. But what happens when you're in the midst of your trial? Instead of asking God for wisdom and trusting in Him, you become unstable because of the doubts that you have. And it's not that you have doubts in God. It's that you have doubts in the fact that God will for you. Because here's what the real lie is that's being told to you. The real lie that's being told to you is not that God can't. Satan is not going to... Listen. Satan is not going to come up to you and say, Bill, God can't move in your life. God doesn't have that kind of power. God's incapable. Because he knows that would be absolutely ridiculous. If we are... If we are having any salt worth ourselves whatsoever as Christians, we know God is able. We know God is powerful. We know God is strong. We know God is capable and able. So it's never the fact that we struggle with, can God do? We know He can. The problem is, will God do for me? That is the crux of it all. It's not, can God, we know he can, it's will God for you. And that's where Satan focuses on it, because now what he's going to do is this. He's not going to come, and I'm just going to use Bill again, just because that's a reg, you know kind of a, a generic regular name that, that uh, I don't know of anybody. Um, so no, that way nobody who maybe listened to this thinks, well, he's talking to me. I don't really know uh, anybody close to me. So we're going to use Bill. And, and so now it's not, Bill, do you believe God can? Do you believe God's powerful enough? No, because Bill's going to say, yes, I know God is. Here's the question. Bill, you just come and you ask God for wisdom in your trial, but do you think that you deserve for God to answer your prayer with the way that you've acted this week? Bill, do you, you've not even read your Bible this week. You know, here you are struggling in your walk with God and you're crying out to God, but are you really serious about it? Because if you were really serious about it, you'd have read your Bible. And you ain't read your Bible. Bill, do you really believe that God is going to move in your life because you've got an addiction to pornography and God's not going to bless you? Bill, do you think that God's going to move in your situation when you were mean and unkind to so-and-so the other day? Bill, do you believe that God's going to move in your situation? Because, Bill, you're just fragile and frail. All you do is trip over your own feet, Bill. You're not a good Christian. Bill, in all honesty, how are you a good Christian? You don't really share the gospel like you need to. Bill, you don't do this, and Bill, you don't do that. See, what happens is the enemy begins to focus on you, not on God. The enemy is going to bring up all of these accusations that he possibly can to sit down and show you who you really are. Now, some of it's going to be a little bit of truth. Maybe Bill was mean to so-and-so the other day and didn't repent of it. But it might also be that Bill was kind of unaware of it. He was having a bad day, and, and you know what? He didn't really think about it. And now that it's brought back to his attention, he's going to repent of it. 
But that's not the way that Satan's going to bring it up. And see, here's where all of this really comes together. And I hope that you're tracking with me. If not, I encourage you to go back and re-listen to this and make sure that you're seeing how that we're taking it from the 30,000 foot picture down to the, 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 the lens right in front of our face. And that's this. What Satan wants you to do is he wants you to forget about Calvary. Because see, here's where the, here's where the rubber really meets the road. If I understand who I am in Jesus, I wasn't worthy for Jesus to die on a cross for me. And I can tell you this, if Jesus was willing to die on a cross for me, I promise you this, He understands who I am. He understands that I'm frail. He understands that I'm weak. He understands that apart from Him, I am absolutely nothing. When Jesus died for me on the cross, He didn't die for me because I was good and needed a little help. He died for me because I was dead in my sins and I needed to be made alive in Christ. When Jesus died for me on Calvary, He didn't care if there was anyone else alive. He died for me because He knew that I needed a Savior. When Jesus died for me on the cross, He had absolutely no doubts about going to Calvary for me. Even though there was part of Him that was fearful of death from His human side. He said in the garden, He said, God, not my will, but your will. I need to go die for Jeremiah because if I don't, he's not going to have a way back to you. And so he allowed the scourging to take place. He allowed the nails to go into his hands. He allowed the crown of thorns to go on his head. He allowed the nails to go into his feet. And he hung there on Calvary's cross and he died for me. Why? Because he knew that I needed a Savior. And I can promise you, if Jesus did all of that for me on Calvary's cross... My prayer is not something that he's just going to throw away. My doubt is not something that he's going to be concerned with. My my struggles is not going to be something he's concerned with because he already knows that. He already knows that that's who I am. He already knows that that's what's going on. See, the beauty of what is happening here, and I hope that you get this, what James is saying is he's saying, don't let your trials determine your value. Don't let your doubts determine your value. Understand what your value is. Your value is Calvary. Anytime that you ever begin to hear the lies of the enemy, anytime that you ever hear what the enemy is trying to tell you about who you are and what a failure you are and how many times you get it wrong and how many times you've messed up and how many times you've had to come back and repent and how many times that you keep tripping over your own feet, you go back to Calvary and you tell the enemy, this is what my value is because Jesus saw something in me that I can't even see in myself. And he saw it so much so that while I was still yet a sinner, Christ, died for me. See, what we're doing is we're letting our circumstances and our situations dictate our value and that's not what the Word of God tells us. But what happens is when we begin to listen to the lies of the enemy and we let that dictate what our value is, we begin to doubt because, again, we're not doubting whether God can. We're doubting, will God for me? Why would God move in my situation? Why would God bless me? Why would God do this for me? You know what? You say, do you ever struggle with that, Jeremiah? Absolutely. You know what? I'll be real transparent before you. And if anybody knows me and they've, they've walked along with me in ministry and, and, and I've been their pastor, they'll know I'm probably one of the most transparent pastors you'll ever meet. I have no problem telling you when I struggle. 
I admit faults, failures, sins openly from the pulpit in front. I, I, and it's not because I'm proud of it. I just believe the Bible says we need to confess our sins one to another. Sometimes you need to get the junk out. Because sometimes I think what we do is we're so worried and concerned about what happens if somebody knows that I failed or if somebody knows that I might have sin or whatever. Listen, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. You know what? It purges it out of you. Can I tell you something that I struggle with? And I've struggled with this for a long time. God, what is there about me that you would use me and call me to preach the gospel? Would you really want to bless me to pastor and have influence over people's lives? God, do you see something in me that causes me to, to, to be able to stand up and to declare the gospel and to lead people? See, I don't. I struggle with that lie regularly. There are certain days that I will go over and I'll, I'll be working on sermon prep or I'll be doing certain things and it is amazing how that, that whisper just comes into my ear and says, you know what, Jeremiah? How, how do you even have the gall or the nerve to sit down and write those lines out on that piece of paper in your sermon notes when you know good and well that you fill in the blank? See, Satan is known as the accuser. The only thing he is is a critical accuser that is trying to find everything he can wrong with you to make you despise yourself. Because, see, if Satan can get you to see yourself in a despicable way as someone who's not worthy, someone of no value, I can promise you this. You will live your Christian life like that. And when you come to God in prayer, it will affect your prayer life because you will come to God and it will be, God, I know you're wonderful and amazing and I'm going to ask this, but, you know, I don't deserve this. And God, why would you do this for me? And God, and we start doing that. And, and, and what we've done is we forgot the perspective of the cross. We forgot what our value is. I am a child of the Most High God. I have been grafted in and adopted in to the family of God, and I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because Jesus paid my sin debt on Calvary. I surrendered my life to Him. I trusted Him as my Lord and Savior, and He has welcomed me in, and I am now a child of the Most High God. I am loved with a love that cannot be defined, that has no height, no depth, no width. And it scares Satan absolutely to death to know that I could live and dwell in the understanding that I am a child of God and He accepts me for who I am because He died for me. Jesus doesn't get mad at me when I doubt. Jesus walks alongside me to lead me to where I don't doubt. Jesus doesn't get mad at me when I worry. Jesus wants me to bring the worry to Him so that He can provide peace to me. The problem is when we dwell in the doubt, when we dwell in the worry, 
The problem is, is when we let the wind, the situations and the circumstances, the lies and the whispers affect us and cause us to become unstable. See, why is an anchor so important? I'm going to use this illustration and we're going to finish with this. Go back to what James said. If you are someone who doubts, you are someone who is like a sea that is affected by the wind. The wind pushes you and moves you however that the wind wants to because you are unstable. What's the purpose of an anchor? The anchor provides stability so it doesn't matter how hard the wind blows. You have a solid foundation. Our anchor is in Jesus. It doesn't mean that the wind won't blow, but it means when the wind blows, I won't move. Not because of who I am, but because of who my anchor's in. I dropped anchor in Jesus on July the 18th, 1993, when I was 13 years old. I dropped my anchor in Jesus and I said, I'm trusting in you for my salvation and everything else. Your anchor needs to be in Jesus. That doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that the wind's not going to blow. It doesn't mean that the storms aren't going to come. What it means is when they do come, you won't be moved because you have something that you are in that is stable, and that's Jesus. So I pray this has been an encouragement to you. I pray it's challenged you. And I pray that if it has challenged you, share it with somebody be able to share either the podcast or go share the information with them today, whatever it may be. And I pray that it's challenged you enough to where it's going to help you to realize your value today in Jesus. And let that be an anchor. Because if our anchor's in Jesus, I can promise you this, you'll have stability in some of the most unstable times. We look forward to being in our time together next week. I pray you have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord.